Trade Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. Here in episode 56, we're joined by Kevin Beatty. He's principal consultant at UNEV LLC. We talk about his involvement in the early days of NACFI, the messy middle, lessons learned over the last 20 years, and the difference in sourcing batteries for passenger cars and trucks. He also comments on the path forward for trucking, how e-mobility is one of the exciting places to work, and he offers some advice to everyone involved in electric vehicle deployment. Today we have joining me Kevin Beatty. He's Principal Consultant at UNEV LLC, and we'll get into that here in just a minute. It's a real pleasure having you on today, Kevin, and, and it'll be fun catching up. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. As you guys all know, this podcast is titled for me and my friends, and um, this might be one of the longest friendships we've had on the on the episode on the show. So, um, do you remember when uh, we became friends, uh, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, it was. It's been probably twenty, almost twenty years ago when uh, you were at Navistar and I was at Eaton, and uh, you guys were doing the hybrid electric program with us and. Uh, one of your colleagues, VK Sharma, was working closely with us, and one of my colleagues, Tom Stover, I think you and he were working on other projects as well, and I think our paths just kind of crossed a number of times informally, and then, of course, later, uh, which you'll get to, we, we, got, we got to work much more closely. Tell us about the, the consulting company, UNIV, and uh, is that how you say it, and uh, what are you guys doing now? That is how we say it, UNEV. Um, it's an eight-year-old business management advisory services firm. We work with commercial vehicle OEMs, tier one suppliers, clean tech startups, uh, battery manufacturers, uh, nonprofits like CalStart that you're familiar with, and folks like California Resources Board on the regulatory side. We've got active projects going on in U.S., China, Germany, France, Philippines, and um I guess I should say now South America as of this last week. So I just, you know, stuff going on around the world and all of it in this space that you and I've spent our whole careers working in for commercial vehicles and especially e-mobility. Yeah, and there was a, uh, not too long ago, you spent uh, a number of years in, in China. Um, tell me about, tell me about that experience and um, both professionally and personally, if you don't mind. Mm, well, <laughs> I just finished a book last week. Uh, I haven't released it. That's kind of the big question is whether I do that, but it is finished and it was a good process to go back and think about the best of times and the worst of times for me and my wife. Um, so many things we, we love about the Chinese people, their culture, the language, the food, the music, the tea. I mean, I could just go on and on. But, you know, one of the things that uh, led us, especially me, to China professionally was just the clear fact that they were investing, you know, 10 years ahead of the rest of the world on serious electric vehicle technology, battery production, um, EV platforms, both pass car, light truck, truck, bus, commercial vehicles, et cetera. So, um, yeah, we spent a lot of time immersing ourselves in language and its culture, but at the same time, also for me, just expanding my network in the battery and the EV world. Yeah, so um, tell us about your career. I mean, what's been, uh, you know, I think you're right. I mean, we we both follow a little bit similar pathways in our careers. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting going from, you know, a mechanical 
engine and powertrain uh, early in our careers to a little bit of elect of uh, you know kind of electronics and then the emission stuff and now uh, you know really looking at transforming transportation and moving freight with with electricity wow um, but just walk us through your career and some of the highlights that, that's brought you from um, you know to where you are today well, I started you know I had a mechanical engineering degree out of Texas A&M and got was fortunate to be hired by Southwest Research Institute uh, back when we really didn't even have electronic fuel injection controls on the diesel over-the-road trucks at that time, 1986, if you think about it. And shortly after joining them, you know, DDC brought out their EFI system, which was a real game changer. And, um, and EPA started implementing emissions regs on over-the-road diesels, which had really not happened in a significant way prior to what, 1990, 94. And so the last 30, 35 years, you know, we were initially converting diesels to run on natural gas for trucks and buses and locomotives. And that seemed to be the low hanging fruit, both for energy security, but also for clean air. But, you know, every time we would make some advancements on these uh, alternative fuels, the diesel engine would get better. It would get cleaner. It would get more efficient. Its performance would improve. And so, you know, the baseline just kept going up, kept the bar kept getting raised by that uh, diesel engine. And so, you know, fast forward to today, you know, we're electrifying, looking at fuel cells, looking at even hydrogen combustion and, and other technologies that you really focus on in your messy middle framework. and yeah, I think we're you're still chasing that holy grail of uh, great performance, great durability, great efficiency, but also just more and more, um, almost you know, zero emissions. Yeah, Kevin, you bring up a, a really interesting point around like alternatives and competition, and you know the um, the uh, the incumbent, right? So the diesel engines have powered these commercial vehicles for a century. They didn't hold still. I mean, I think maybe. 15, 20 years ago, a lot of us would have said, well, it's about as efficient, it's about as clean as it's ever going to get. Um, you know, the, the classic, uh, you know, the story of the patent office, office thinking about closing because they thought everything had already been invented. <laughs> and so these, alter these alternatives, like you talked about, um, maybe some of them haven't taken off like we expected, but they did have a benefit of improving diesel um, and all these all these aspects pretty significantly. So that's uh, something. And I and I guess as we're looking at new technologies, we should always expect the incumbent to get better as we're considering something new. We should. I was working with a client uh, just last year and was reminded that California is still pushing forward on ultra low emission uh, NOx numbers in California. And of course, PM and NOx are already just almost zero compared to when I started at the beginning of our careers. So, um, yeah, the diesel engine is going to be hard to kill. Uh, electrification is going to increasingly penetrate uh, the segments and the parts of the country and the areas where it has the most to offer in the near term. And then that's going to build scale and make the economics better and then it'll have more yeah. adoption. So, yeah, we're on a, an exciting path. Uh, but at the back in the background, that diesel is probably going to be around for quite a while, but with extremely low emissions and, and great performance and efficiency. Yeah, well said. So, hey, I, well, I, while I have you, I, I, I want to ask you a very specific question about NACV. So, 
you were a, a small group. You were on a small group that helped uh, birth NACFI. Um, we called them founders back in 2009. And, and uh, I, I took over the role of growing NACFI. And about 2012 or 13, uh, we were looking for a partner for the organization. I'm sure you remember this. And, and I remember the board challenging me to find somebody that we could work with. And, and I found a group started by Sir Richard Branson called the Carbon War Room. And I remember a phone call I made to you uh, asking what you think I should do with it. Um, you, you remember that? You remember that conversation? Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of those fond memories when you look back over your career. I think I was at lunch running an errand at Office Depot uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Tell me what you remember about the call, and I'll tell you what I remember. It's funny how just a, a single moment, um, you know, in a long career um, makes a difference. But you tell me first, and I'll tell you what I remember. And, and I think in a career, you're correct, but also in the development of NACFI, because that was back when NACFI was still this very fragile little infant, you know, and you were you were like the only resource. And at that time, you might have been working, what, half, three-quarter time or something like that? Yeah, that's right. And uh, so, you know, not a lot of resources. And so you had to be real jealous and disciplined about where you made commitments, because if you said yes to anyone, you were saying no to a lot of people. And I remember the call and hearing your assessment and you describe it. I was not familiar with uh, the Carbon War Room at that time, but certainly familiar with Richard Branson. And um, it, it just sounded like it had a lot of the makings of a game changer for Maxi and for the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I was I was on the same page. I was a little nervous about it, but you you were very blunt with me, Kevin. You're like, Mike, you, you've convinced yourself you're just not willing to jump. And you said, go, 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 go make it happen. Um, and we did. And, you know, Carbon War Room became... Uh, ultimately uh, merged with with RMI, Rocky Mountain Institute, w with which we were started out of a workshop at RMI. So um, even to this day, and I, I, you know, it, it's been a great partnership and um, comes back to, uh, you know, part of it was you having the confidence and telling me, Mike, get on with it, do it. Um, you know, you're in a, um, you're in a, uh, the old Yogi Berra saying, when you're at a fork in the road, take it. You, you told me to, to, to go, go. And I really appreciate that. Um, what other thoughts have you had let's, on NACFI and where we've come today, um, given that you were part of founding us? What, what what are some other thoughts you've got on what NACFI's done well over the last years or, or what maybe you think we could have even done more? Well, I think the one of the key DNAs about NACFI that you've been so instrumental in establishing and nurturing and, and building on is just the direct connection to real world drivers, real world fleet owner operators, and um, just really bringing them practical, fact-based, very actionable information. You know, you go back to, I think one of the early studies, correct me if I'm wrong, was just around, okay, there are all these uh, EPA, smart way technologies, and you really just helped, I think, break it down to, okay, if you put this fairing, what can you expect on your vehicle under these driving conditions? You know, you're not going to get it running around town, but if you're out on the road, really churning up the pavement, you know, you might get a point and a half and what's that worth and what's it going to cost you? And so what's the payback and just really helping break it down into practical, actionable elements. And, and then just working with your channel partners to get that message out to uh, folks running, owning, and operating trucks, I think, has been a real distinctive about NACFI, and I hope you'll and trust you'll continue to do that. 
I've, uh, you know, from a distance, I've been real impressed with your messy middle framework as well. I mean, you've been busy. I've been busy. We haven't talked a lot about it, but I did feature it very prominently in an industry report that we published late last year. And I think it is one of the best pieces of work I've seen to paint a picture of what the next 10 to 20 years looks like in the heavy duty truck world, particularly in North America, where there just is not likely to be one answer. And there will be regional solutions. There will be some fleets that go heavy on one technology and to the, uh, the downplaying others, but that's, that's their prerogative. They want to do that in their fleet. That's great. Um, and just helping the industry kind of interpret as, as this roadmap begins to unfold in real time, I would love to see you just continue to kind of provide that framework and that perspective so people can kind of process the news and the events and have some context for it to help them make smarter decisions. Yeah, you can count on us. Um, you know, that that messy middle for me is we see a, a you know, a, a totally decarbonized freight world in North America somewhere in the future, a couple decades out of you know, clean power generation, powering electric trucks and fuel cell trucks out of green hydrogen. But between before then, there's going to be a lot of opportunities and good technologies that'll probably come and go. Um, uh, you mentioned this battery report. Um, walk us through that report. I believe your team authored last year. What were some of the highlights? And, you know, batteries, uh, you know, they're the new engine, right? I mean, we talk about, we can't talk about commercial vehicles without diesel engines. Now we're talking about batteries. So that's such an important heart and of, of, the, of the new truck. So tell us what you found in that report and how we might be able to look at it. Okay. And, you know, for context, just to build on what you said, um, if you look at batteries and the percentage of the bill of materials that they represent for an over the road, or let's say a regional haul heavy truck that's going to have four or five, 600 kilowatt hours of battery capacity on board in order to to do a legitimate 200, 250 mile range each day, you know, minimum, you know, 80% of that entire powertrain is going to be represented by the battery cost. And probably 60% of the entire cost of the truck will be in the batteries. Okay. That's just a mind blowing number to me. And when you think about the battery capacity and where those cells are being produced today, um, and the rate at which the industry can increase their production capacity, you begin to really appreciate, wow, this is one of the very, very uh, important pinch points in the supply chain and in the whole ecosystem that we're building out. So I just basically, this report was an opportunity to just capture a lot of lessons learned over the past 22 years, working with suppliers, working with uh, vehicle manufacturers and on the policy side. And so, you know, anyone that has interest, uh, they can download a copy, a free copy from our website at www.unev.co. It's not .com, it's .co. And I think the biggest takeaway for me, and hopefully it came through, I think you looked over the report. I don't know if you had time. It's, it's a lengthy report, but hopefully one of the key themes that comes through is there's just a big difference in if you're a past car or a light truck OEM like um, Ford, GM, Tesla, or, or BMW or Mercedes, it's a big difference between you going out and sourcing batteries for your passenger car, light truck, SUV platforms versus a Freightliner or a Navistar 
or a Peterbilt or Kenworth going out and, and purchasing batteries because the scale is about a, a thousand times difference, a lower scale in terms of what you're buying for those trucks. And it just really makes it more challenging um, for the companies in our industry to find easy answers to sourcing uh, what is, you know, a really important part of that. A much more diverse, complex market with a lot lower volume. And, um, you know, that's always been a challenge in commercial trucks. And it will be whether, no matter what the, the powertrain is, um, it's a great point. Uh, so we, so we, we've both been uh, in the commercial vehicle almost identical 30 some years. Uh, and now we're deep into electric trucks. So, so let's each share, let's each share a very frank assessment of, of the situation and where we see the path forward. Um, you up for that, Kevin? And I don't care, you go first or I'll go first. What, what do you wanna do? I've been doing a lot of talking. Why don't you go first on this one? <laughs> all right, all right. So mine's pretty high level, uh, but I, you know, I look at what needs to be done with infrastructure and scaling batteries and and uh, utility grid uh, challenges and and new new truck stuff and and uh, you know that can be very daunting and um, and you know can look like it's really hard. And I would say, yes, it is, except for two things that I think um, that, that I see very, very bluntly. One, the electric powertrain is a lot simpler than diesel. Now, we know diesel pretty well, but, um, you know, I've been joking with people, you know, we know and love diesels. Well, we know them, uh, but with this level of aftertreatment and complexity and NOx uh, demands and go going forward with efficiency and so forth, they're getting pretty complex and, and very difficult, um, you know, to, to do well. And so um, uh, I think that the first thing is how simple the electric powertrain is. Now we got to learn some stuff, high voltage, et cetera, et cetera, but in, at its core, it's simpler. Um, and then the second thing is something that's been building in my thinking, and that is the people working on this, uh, man, I'm so depressed, impressed. I am so impressed with um, the talent we have in, in trucking right now. I mean, people who I don't think would have considered trucking 10 years ago are now into it. I don't know if it's part of the, the fact that trucks are now cool and this technology is interesting or that, you know, it's really part of the climate solution or what, but um, a lot of great talent that's excited and passionate and, and optimistic going forward. So um, I think it's a big challenge, but um, I'm really confident in the people doing it. So that, that's my frank assessment. Uh, Kevin, how about you? I love those points. Uh, you know, I've got all the same, the same points around the product, the trucks, the infrastructure, the grid, the battery scale. Those are all the, the daunting things. You're right. Um, but, you know, from a job security standpoint, I really liked how complex the diesel engine was. You know, it was like, hey, we'll, we'll have plenty of work to do as engineers and as product managers for the rest of our career solving all these complex problems. The, the EV makes it a lot easier. You don't, you don't have to do emissions uh, tests on the chassis dyno and uh, worry about uh, getting certified with uh, EPA and carbon in nearly the same way. OBD is out the window. I mean, it's just, it's a happier place. And you, you nailed it on the talent. Um, a decade ago in 2012, as I was getting ready to go to China, you could not hire anyone out of the universities 
to work in the commercial vehicle industry. In fact, Ford, GM, and Chrysler couldn't even hire people to work in the automotive industry. It was just the the dregs. I mean, nobody wanted to work in this space. But with Tesla and with electrification and with a number of other things and the increasing, I think people came around once we passed a million lines of code on board a, a typical passenger car, it, all of a sudden it looks like a rolling uh, software package more than a vehicle with some controls sitting on top. And I think so many things have converged that uh, it is, it's like the most, one of the most exciting places to work in, in any industry. If you think about healthcare, uh, financing, banking, even uh, the VC world, even I think the VC world folks would rather be working on e-mobility or autonomous vehicles. Uh, it's just the rock star. And so you're right, that kind of talent and the kind of money that's flowing in, the one thing I would add to that is in addition to the talent is the level of investment. The level of investment is 10, 20X what you and I ever saw on a run rate and maybe 100X. And that kind of investment plus the talent that's deploying those funds, um, the rate at which new progress is being made, it's just, it's really hard to get your head around Every run on less, this is our third one. We did run on less electric this last year. I've called Richard Branson up and, and um, you know, asked him to provide us uh, some comments. He joined us live in the first one in New York City, and then he's, <laughs> he's sent in comments on the next two runs. And he brought up this exact point, um, somewhat unasked. I said, I said to him, um, you know, and he responded with a video uh, on this point. I asked him, I said, well, uh, you know, some kind of question, like I just asked you about talent and so forth. And he, he went on and on about how um, talent is coming to industries like trucking uh, to solve these problems and how excited he was about it. So um, I, I do think uh, we're onto something here. Um, so uh, we're running out of time, Kevin, and um, I really want to talk to you about China, but we'll do that another time. Um, uh, but, but um, you know, really, as you look over your, your career, and, um, you know, you sit here and, and think about the future, batteries, electric, maybe even zero emission. Um, just what, what advice do you have for us um, all out there working on it, um, you know, in, these, in, in, in a final comment on this podcast? I think it's really a summary of what we've already said. Um, as much excitement and as much technology and investment and talent that's being deployed, at the end of the day, the fleets will have to buy these trucks and put them on the ground. And there's only so much money within the fleets to acquire new trucks. You know, if you think about a 10-year replacement cycle, right? Just as one example um, within certain segments of the market. And so in that sense, it becomes a limiting uh, factor in terms of the rate. And so I think all of us have got to be as realistic as possible. Uh, it doesn't help to be cynical or pessimistic, but I can tell you, I have friends who were CEOs a year ago and are looking for work now uh, with some of these uh, SPACs that have gone public because their their forecasts just were, you know, 10 times higher than what the market would actually bear. And those of us in the industry, we know this. And so I think all of us have got to just be as grounded and fact-based as we can be and uh, just keep doing the work and be as efficient as we can in, in deploying these resources and it'll it's going to happen probably a lot sooner than we would ever imagine for some of us that have been doing this for a while and it'll probably take longer than some of us that are newer to this game and wish it would happen like software release or something yeah thanks a lot kevin i i um i think the diversity in trucking 
will have us looking back and saying, well, it happened faster in this part of the market than I thought, but slower in that part. Um, but that's okay. And so um, I, I think the success with these early adopting segments um, at McAfee, we think that's, you know, terminal tractors, class three, four, five, smaller trucks, um, you know, simple box trucks. I mean, those places will give us a lot of learning and confidence to then tackle the more difficult ones of, you know, heavy duty return to base trucks and maybe even long haul. So um, thanks for joining me. This is really interesting talk to go back um, on some, some sort of some very personal things as well as uh, some, some big picture ones. So um, thanks for joining me, Kevin. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends.